Some consider space exploration as the pinnacle of off-the-grid survival experiences, and there are no grizzlies to bother you. But are there? The early days of space exploration were fraught with dangerous outcomes, even grizzlies. When the Soviet Union's empire collapsed, classified stories slowly leaked out to the rest of the world. The following is a miraculous tale of determination and survival, which began with a space shot. Voshod 2 was an ambitious Soviet space mission to conduct the first ever spacewalk, exiting the space capsule in a specialized spacesuit designed for the harsh environment of space known as an EVA, or extravehicular activity. On board the spacecraft were two cosmonauts, Commander Colonel Pavel Belyev and pilot and designated spacewalker Lieutenant Colonel Alexei Leonov. Voshod 2 lifted off from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in southern Kazakhstan at 7 a.m. on March 18, 1965. Unlike the previous Vostok and the later Soyuz capsules, there was no launch abort system. For the first minutes of the launch, there would be no escape from a malfunctioning rocket. If an accident occurred during this time frame, it would have been fatal to the cosmonauts. At the two and one half minute mark, the payload shroud jettisoned, marking the point when there was a somewhat larger safety margin. When the rocket achieved orbit, the cosmonauts quickly went to work, inflating the portable airlock for the tiny space capsule. An airlock is pressurized to the cabin atmosphere, so the capsule can open and not depressurize. Once the cosmonaut enters the airlock, the capsule is resealed, and the airlock is then depressurized, allowing the cosmonaut to exit the spacecraft. The process is reversed when the cosmonaut re-enters the spacecraft. Leonov suited up for his spacewalk, as did Belyev for safety concerns. The plan was for Leonov to exit the craft and linger for 10 minutes to prove that man could survive in open space. All was going well, so the Soviets decided to broadcast footage of the spacewalk to disclose to the world their success in achieving another space milestone. U.S. astronaut Ed White would need almost another three months to match the feat outside of Gemini 4. The 10-minute excursion flew by for Leonov. It was exhilarating, like a seagull with its wings outstretched, soaring high above the Earth. Leonov felt euphoria, but it was mixed with tension and apprehension being a first and unproven operation. Belyev soon called him back into the capsule. Leonov reluctantly acknowledged his time was up and pulled himself toward the airlock. The plan was to enter the airlock feet first, but his suit had become extraordinarily stiff and deformed due to the lack of atmospheric pressure. Leonov's feet and hands had retreated out of his boots and gloves, and it wasn't easy to maneuver. Leonov decided his only option was to pull himself head first through the airlock until it could be closed and repressurized. The Soviet ground command knew there were issues, so the live broadcast was cut at this point. 
not wanting to broadcast to the world difficulties or a possible failure in retrieving their cosmonaut. There was some urgency now. The spacecraft was moving away from the sun and toward the colder darkness. Only 40 minutes were remaining of life support in the suit. To fit into the airlock, Leonov found he had to slowly release pressure in his suit, further reducing his oxygen supply. The protocol was to relay to ground control what was happening and receive instruction, but Leonov knew what he needed to do, and he did not want the ground crew to be anxious, so he just did it. Leonov began to vent his suit, and against the procedure, he began to cram his way head first into the airlock. He was supposed to enter feet first, but felt he had no chance to fully enter the airlock in that manner. As he struggled to enter the airlock fully, his heart rate increased. He then began to perspire due to the exertion. He managed to enter, but now needed to twist his entire body so the airlock door would close and seal. Once Belyev verified the tight seal, the airlock's pressure equalized with the capsule, and the hatch opened allowing Leonov to stumble into the craft, heart racing, and drenched with perspiration. Leonov later explained, The difficulties I experienced re-entering the spacecraft were just the start of a series of dire emergencies that would jeopardize both cosmonauts' lives. Once inside, the primary hatch did not seal properly. The environmental control system automatically flooded the capsule with oxygen-rich air, creating a high-risk fire hazard condition that already claimed the life of another cosmonaut four years prior in a training accident. The same conditions would claim the Apollo 1 crew's lives almost two years later in the United States. After several attempts to reseal the hatch, a good seal was achieved, and oxygen levels slowly returned to normal. In an emergency... Your number one priority is food. Everyone should have, at the very least, a 72-hour supply of non-perishable food on hand. Now more than ever, it's essential to be prepared in case you cannot get to the grocery store. Four Patriots provide 72-hour survival food kits to give you a little extra cushion in these uncertain times. Right now, Four Patriots has a buy-one-get-one-free deal on their 72-hour survival food kit. Their kit contains classic recipes that are nutritious, taste great, are easy to prepare, and are made and shipped from the USA. The 72-hour kit is designed to store for up to 25 years. You can claim this limited-time buy-one-get-one offer at 4patriots.com slash free food. That's the number 4patriots.com slash free food. While there, check out their entire merchandise line, including solar power gear, water filtration, and outdoor and camping products. Now, back to In the Wild. With the primary mission accomplished, it was time to return home. However, just before the retro engines were scheduled to fire to drop them out of orbit, the automatic guidance reentry system crashed and the primary retro rockets failed to ignite. This failure switched re-entry procedures to manual. Leonov and Belyev had to manually orient the capsule, select a landing site, 
and make all calculations to determine the length of time of retro rocket firing. The length of time needed for preparations required an extra orbit, and despite their best efforts, they expected to miss their original landing zone by 1,500 miles. Ground control, though, was unaware of their difficulties. Yuri Gagarin himself, the first man in space, called over the radio, welcoming them home. Mission control thought they had already performed the re-entry sequence and landed. Belyev informed them of their difficulties with the automatic landing system and noting their minimal fuel situation, which allowed for only one correction and one shot for safely landing. Mission control immediately switched to emergency mode, and all efforts turned toward getting the cosmonauts home safely. Leonov, as navigator, needed to determine where they would land. The orbit took them right over Moscow, and it amused them to think how magnificent it would be to set down right in Red Square. But obviously, a less populated region was required. Leonov selected an area near Perm, west of the Ural Mountains. This landing point afforded them some leeway, as landing in Chinese territory would be a worst-case scenario. Relations with China were poor in 1965, so landing in China would be a press relations nightmare at best. Years of imprisonment or death were also possible. Belyev oriented the capsule for re-entry by laying across both seats and across Leonov's lap, where the navigator held him steady. The orientation porthole had lines on it, which allowed for a rudimentary alignment for re-entry. Once aligned, Belyev quickly moved into his seat to allow the spacecraft to obtain the correct center of gravity. Belyev fired the engine, and the craft jerked as it quickly deaccelerated. In 10 seconds, they should hear the orbital module separate from the landing module. But something went wrong. The craft's instruments indicated 10 Gs of force. At 10 Gs, smaller blood vessels in both cosmonauts' eyes burst. Leonov looked out his window and saw something horrifying. A communications cable still connected both modules, and they were spinning widely, with the cable at the center of gravity. Soon, the cable burnt through, and the two crafts separated, stopping the spin. They were at an altitude of approximately 62 miles. A sharp jolt indicated the drogue chute deployed, followed by the landing chutes. For once, everything was peaceful, and they could hear the wind outside wobbling through the landing straps. As they descended, they entered cloud cover, and the interior of the capsule turned dark. It seemed darker than it should have been. Then, a loud roar erupted, as the landing engine ignited and the craft landed with a bang. Their relief of safely landing was short-lived as they assessed their situation. When they looked out their windows, they saw they had landed in six feet of snow. Orientation indicated they had overshot Perm by over 600 miles and were deep in Siberia. Their rescue signal activated, but they had no idea when or if it would be received. The first order of business was to exit the craft. Belyev blew the charges to open the landing hatch, but it jerked and failed to open. A large birch tree jammed the hatch closed. Belyev 
was able to muscle the hatch away from the bolts after much effort, and it dropped into the deep snow. Cold air rushed in the capsule, and the cosmonauts rejoiced at breathing fresh air back on Earth. Both exited the spacecraft and sank to their chins in snow. Looking around, they found themselves in a forest of fir and birch trees. Imagine returning from a demanding space flight, only to find yourself completely lost in the wilderness, with little in the way of food and supplies, and ill-equipped with the proper clothing. The clouds covered the sun, and it would soon become dark. Fortunately, the cosmonauts were accustomed to harsh climates. Both had grown up in cold-weather regions and were familiar with the forests in high northern latitudes, called the taiga. Bears and wolves were plentiful, and as it was the spring mating season, both were particularly aggressive during this time of year. Mission Control had not received the rescue beacon and had no idea if they were dead or alive. But nonetheless, the wives and families of both cosmonauts were told they had landed safely and were perfectly fine and healthy. The cosmonauts were resting up in a remote vacation home and would return to Moscow soon. They were advised to write letters welcoming them home. Meanwhile, the cosmonauts continued to assess their situation. Temperatures were dropping, and the wind was picking up. They could hear wolves howling in the not-so-far distance. There was one pistol in the capsule and plenty of ammunition. A cargo plane traveling nearby picked up the signal from the rescue beacon, and soon a helicopter approached the site. Their hopes were raised in the possibility of a quick rescue, but it was a civilian craft. They had not the gear to facilitate a swift recovery, but they tried. There was no nearby clearing to land, so the civilian rescuers tossed down a light and shaky rope ladder and signaled to the cosmonauts to climb it. Though they tried, it was impossible with their bulky spacesuits, and the men abandoned their attempt. News of the cosmonauts' plight quickly spread between pilots in the area. Soon, a fleet of aircraft circled their landing site. So many, in fact, the cosmonauts feared a mid-air collision. All were well-meaning, and they tossed a variety of items out to the stranded cosmonauts. Clothing, a bottle of cognac, which broke on impact, and two pairs of wolfskin boots were given to them, and they were incredibly thankful for the boots. Much of the clothing got tangled in the trees, and as darkness closed in, the circling aircraft slowly retreated and left them alone in the forest. Though they knew rescue would eventually come, it would not come that evening. With the coming darkness, the pressing problem was hypothermia. Both space travelers were drenched with perspiration, and the accumulated sweat was sloshing in their boots. The spacesuits were airtight, so they did not shed the moisture only collected it. They were treated to the shelter of the capsule and stripped down and wrung out the excess water in their clothing. They separated the rigid portions of the spacesuit from the softer lining and reassembled a more flexible wardrobe that allowed them more mobility. Lastly, they slipped on their new wolfskin boots and flight gloves and ventured back out into the darkness. Their next task 
was to retrieve the parachutes. Tangled in the trees to use as a door for the open hatch and additional insulation to protect them from the dropping temperatures. They struggled to free the parachutes, but it was an exhausting and fruitless endeavor. As they stopped to rest, it began snowing heavily. Wolves continued to howl, and the cosmonauts decided to return to the shelter of the capsule. The temperature dropped to 22 degrees below zero that night. The hatch opening did little to protect them from the freezing temperatures, but the capsule's shelter protected them from the wind chill and the falling snow. Sleep was fleeting, but both cosmonauts managed to doze off and on most of the night. Wolves continued to howl throughout the night, and the cosmonauts kept the pistol readily available. They awoke to the sound of a large aircraft circling their sight. Leonov grabbed the signal gun and fired a flare into the air. Soon, they heard a group of voices, which seemed to be heading toward them. A group of men emerged from the trees, all on skis. Led by local guides, the rescue party included two doctors, a fellow cosmonaut, and a cameraman to document the rescue and retrieval of the cosmonauts and capsule. Another rescue party arrived later in the morning to prepare for the second night in the woods. A team of loggers five and a half miles away cleared an appropriate area large enough for a helicopter landing pad. Another group at the landing site built a small log cabin for that night's shelter. The second night in the woods was much more comfortable than their first and the dinner laid out for them seemed like a feast after three days with little food. Cheese, sausage, and bread never tasted so good. A massive fire was built to keep everyone warm, and the freezing temperatures were kept at bay. A large basin was also brought into the remote site so water could be heated for the cosmonauts to wash up. It was so refreshing and seemed like a luxury. The next morning, the cosmonaut and their rescue team skied to the new landing pad over five miles away. From there, they flew to Perm and then to their launching site at Baikonur. A large group greeted them joyously, including Sergei Korolov, the lead Soviet rocket engineer and spacecraft designer, and cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin. They then proceeded to the town of Leninsk, accompanied by a vast motorcade that stretched for almost two miles. Government officials hailed them as heroes and accepted their spaceflight reports. The verdict? Man could indeed survive and work in space outfitted with the correct gear. The Voshod program was designed to achieve spectacular firsts. Voshod 2's success followed by Voshod 1's first multi-crewed mission carrying three cosmonauts, including a doctor and an engineer, and achieved a crewed altitude record. All three cosmonauts did not wear spacesuits, another first. Delays to Voshod 3 allowed the United States Gemini program to quickly catch up, match, and outperform the Soviet achievements. The hazards of Voshod manned launches were deemed high risk, and future manned launches were canceled. Funding was reallocated toward the new Soyuz program. The final Voshod mission to fly was renamed Cosmos 110, and lacked cosmonauts, but wasn't unmanned. Two dogs, Vatarik and Ugel Yuk, conducted biomedical experiments to obtain information on the Van Allen radiation belt's effects. The canines landed successfully on March 16, 1969.
1966, after 22 days in orbit. Humans would not match the record-breaking duration spaceflight until over five years later by Soyuz 11. Voshod 2, despite the difficulties encountered, was a huge success. Belyev and Leonov spaceflight lasted for 26 hours and completed 16 orbits. Not only did these cosmonauts achieve the first spacewalk, but speed and altitude records as well. Belyev and Leonov also struggled with several emergencies, not ending when they landed in a remote, frigid location. Their endurance and determination allowed them to overcome technological failures and hardships with the wilderness survival. Ultimately, preparations by the cosmonauts allowed them to survive in the wild. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind.